You are listening to episode number 176, and I am so excited about this episode because we're diving into talking about modern homesteading on a small property, specifically one-tenth of an acre. Now, you may have more land than that. You may have a little bit less. But what you're going to get from this, I think, is going to be extremely valuable no matter how large or how small or where you're at in your homesteading journey. You might just be thinking about it. You're just gathering information and you're wanting to get started. On the flip side, you may be more like me. You might be really established with homesteading. You're already producing quite a bit of your own food, cooking from scratch, preserving, herbal remedies, all of that kind of stuff. But you are going to glean inspiration from this because I know I certainly did. Specifically, we're talking about modern homesteading on a small property. So defining what exactly does modern homesteading mean, how you can accomplish it even on a small property or to a smaller degree. I know a lot of times we have this picture of homesteading in our mind where you've got like sprawling acres of land and this log cabin nestled up in the hills. And while some of you may actually have that, and that is amazing, there's a lot of different degrees of homesteading and ways to homestead. It doesn't look the same. Then how to evaluate your situation so that you can determine what you can and can't do. And I promise you, there is more that you can do than you think. This has been one of my favorite interviews. So to access a lot of the resources and additional links that we're going to be talking about today, you can go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 176 because this is episode number 176 and I know that you are not going to want to miss out on it and the additional links. Today's guest is Harold. Harold is a husband, father, and grandfather, and a colon cancer survivor, which he acquired because of years of unhealthy eating choices. And because of that, he made major lifestyle changes and became an urban homesteader on one-tenth acre property in Indiana, where he grows an extensive annual and perennial garden using permaculture practices, as well as two kinds of his own meat supply that are not chickens. Because if you are urban, there are a lot of different zoning and regulations, and sometimes they don't allow chickens. But Harold has found a workaround, and I can't wait to dive into all of this with you guys. So let's go straight to the interview. Guys, we are in for a treat today. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. So without further ado, Harold, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Well, Melissa, thanks for having me. I'm excited for a lot of reasons for this interview. And I don't think I realized it. I've been on Harold's podcast a couple of times before we started recording. We were kind of chatting back and forth. And I don't think I realized the first time I was on your podcast, we have kind of similar whys as to why we really dove headfirst into this. But your story actually has a different outcome in the health aspect than mine did because I had a cancer scare, but I was really fortunate enough that I caught mine before it was actually cancer. It was just the pre-cellular change where your story is actually different because you actually had the diagnosis and you're actually a cancer survivor. So even though we had some of the things similar in the beginning, obviously your story is a lot different than mine in that aspect, but it led both of us 
to this lifestyle even more. So I would love to know a little bit about your journey, obviously, with the cancer and being a survivor and share a little bit with us about that. Sure. Way before the cancer, I always had a dream to homestead. I grew up on a homestead. We always had animals and big garden and did all the homesteading things. We didn't call it that. It was just kind of like a life in a rural area of Indiana, but just thought that would be the life I lived, honestly. But life takes you down different paths sometimes and got married to a city girl and we lived in town and I ended up becoming a truck driver and had my own business. And I spent about 20 years just driving all over the country. And with that job comes a lot of really bad habits. Not a lot of exercise because you're just sitting a lot. Not a lot of good eating. I was eating fast food probably two to three times a day for years. And everybody goes, well, that'll do it. But you always think in your mind that you're going to get away from this. You know, I was working really hard. I was trying to do it. And one day we're going to buy that country home and we're going to grow our own food. And I was going to do it later, putting it off and putting it off. And it caught up with me. And in 2012, I ended up in the emergency room and some pretty severe pain in my gut. And within the next few days, I was off work. And then over the next few days, I was diagnosed with a stage three colon cancer. I had a pretty large tumor in my gut there. It just took me down a different path. So I had immediately had to have surgery probably within a week or so I was having surgery and they removed a, a lot of my colon and then I was scheduled to start chemo. And I actually did a chemo treatment, my first chemo treatment on my 40th birthday. So happy birthday to me. <laughs> right off the bat, it didn't look good. It gotten outside the colon, it was spreading around. Well, it turned out I was having a really hard time with the chemo, harder than most. Like the doctor thought I might even be having some kind of allergic reactions and stuff. And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to try a more natural path. I only did three treatments. I don't go around recommending people just bail out of their chemo because, you know, everybody's story is different. Right. But I did. To do that, I decided what I was going to have to do is get radical in another way. And what that meant for me was changing my diet, my lifestyle radically. And that meant growing my own food, raising my own meat and getting lots of exercise. That all sounds great, but the big issue at the time was I live on a small property in a town <laughs> on a tenth of an acre. So what do you do? I've been off work for weeks, surgery and chemo and all this stuff. And we've been burning through our savings. We're not going to just up and move. That's not an option for us at this point. I was sitting around a lot, watching a lot of YouTube and just doing some research on growing things and things like that. And I ran across a video on YouTube called Homegrown Revolution. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but it's put out by the Dervais family from years back. And they grow their own food on a 10th acre lot out in California. Now, granted, their environment's a lot different than mine. They're growing year round, but they were growing like 6,000 pounds of food on a 10th acre lot. That's and a I, lot. Yeah, I was pretty impressed yeah. by that. And I thought, I got a 10th of an acre. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could grow a lot of food here. So it really just sent me down a path in the last few years of growing a, just a lot of food in our backyard, raising, I raise rabbits and I raise quail, quails for eggs and meat. And then we have the rabbits for meat. We grow a lot of vegetables and we have fruit trees and bushes and just a lot of stuff going on in this little 10 acre property. And that's what we did. We just changed our lifestyle radically here at our family. And that's kind of the story. That's what led me into it. And I decided to stop making excuses, turn this little old home into a homestead. I love it. And it's so funny. There's a couple different points of your story so far that I find really interesting and fun. And when you were talking about that's just the way you grew up, well, I was the same way. We didn't call it homesteading. In fact, I still live on, we purchased family property and I've lived my entire life, believe it or not, on the exact same road <laughs> that I grew up on. But the funny thing is, and it was kind of, we did natural and organic before it was cool. We didn't even know it was, but just quite honestly, we couldn't afford to purchase bags of fertilizer mm -hmm. or sprays to spray on weeds or what and that type of thing. 
and it wasn't called homesteading. You had a backyard garden and my dad had beef cattle, but he didn't really consider himself a farmer. He was actually a log truck driver. So when you were talking about driving, I'm like, oh, you were doing long hauling. And then I wanted to ask you, do you have a Mac or a Kenmore? You're talking my growing up language. Yeah, yeah I've, I've driven it all. My dad loves Mac. So just side note there, the bulldog was always on the hood. Those were his favorite. He did have an international at a Kenmore at one time, but Macs are his go-to. So anyway, side note there. So the homesteading thing, it's not something new. Obviously, homesteading in the technical term was back when we had the Homesteading Act in history and you would go forth. But what I love about it, because we're not really all farmers, because a lot Mm -hmm. of us are doing this just for our own food production. Sometimes we'll swap or barter, maybe sell a small portion of it, depending on what we're doing. But I really feel like when we say homesteaders, like you said, a lot of people were doing it back in the day, but it's kind of starting to become a revolution again and more and more people are getting back to it. But what I love about it is because you really couldn't, I would consider all out farming, I think of as a much bigger operation Mm -hmm, on a 10th of an acre, but you can homestead on a 10th of an acre, which you're proving and you're doing a lot more than I think a lot of people would assume you could do in that small amount of space. Tell me with a quail, is it just because they have a smaller footprint that you chose those over chickens or why did you decide to do quail versus chickens? Well, with quail, it is a, it's a smaller footprint. You, you can raise them in cages and they're, they're a pretty quiet animal. And, uh, to be honest, I live in a town where it's illegal to have chickens. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they're making lots of noises and drawing a lot of attention. So we raise quail and rabbit because they're be kept in a smaller area. And we do, we get them out. I mean, they put them in little tractors in the yard, give them some freedom here and there. And, get them out of the cages at times. But yeah, they produce a lot of meat and a lot of eggs for us. So with quail, because I'm not familiar with quail, to be honest, we do meat chickens and then I have my laying hens and hunting wise, we do grouse, but I don't really have any experience with quail. So in comparison to a chicken, how long on your quail, if you're raising them for meat until they reach harvest size or when you can butcher them? They're full size in eight weeks. They're actually laying eggs in eight weeks. Really? (laughs) Yeah, they start laying eggs about eight weeks. That's awesome because that's a lot faster than chickens. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you do Cornish cross or something like that, and they'll be full size in eight weeks, but they're not layers, of course. But yeah, it's a full grown bird in eight weeks with a quail. Yeah, I meant for the egg production. Sorry, thank you for clarifying. Yes, we do do the Cornish cross, and yeah, eight to 10 weeks is just perfect for Mm -hmm. those. And that's why we do them as meat birds because it is such a, a shorter period. We're not putting them as much feed and as much time into them, and then we can harvest them. Now with the quail for your egg production, because they start producing eggs at eight weeks, which is awesome. I, mm-hmm. Like I said, I have very little knowledge of the quail. And then what's kind of their lifespan as far as how long do they produce eggs for you at a decent rate? I don't know because I've never took it that far. <laughs> okay, so you <laughs> what, what I mean is we have a kind of rotation. Once they start laying, I have a kind of a rotation of about a year and a half and then mm-hmm. I'm butchering them and I'm bringing in a new quail. So we just kind of rotate them in and out constantly for me also. I'm not really sure, but I would say it's quite a while. I mean, a couple of years at least. And that's very similar to a chicken. I mean, if you're, you know, doing a year and a half, I was just curious if it was a lot shorter mm-hmm. because they start producing that much faster on the, the eggs. So the big drawback with quail is just the, the, the egg size. I mean, obviously it's, it's about a fourth right, of the size right. of a chicken egg. So it takes four of them to equal a chicken egg, but I think they're actually a better tasting egg. So I like them. Oh, that's awesome. Flavor wise are better tasting, just like a stronger flavor or well, do you have uh, a way to they, describe they, it? I think the yolk proportion is a lot higher than the white. So it just has more of the yolk flavor, which I like about eggs. That's the part, my favorite part of the egg, right? Is the yolk for me, but it has a lot, it's a, a richer taste because of the yolk. Okay. Gotcha. I bet it's good with baking then too. 
Yeah, I would think it is. Most people, I think, duck eggs as their secondary or their better egg for baking. But I guess because they're kind of hard to work with because they're so small. We don't really crack them and just spill them out like you do a chicken egg or a bigger egg. We actually have what's called a quail egg cutter, and it basically just cuts the end off the egg, and then you just pour them out. <laughs> that's kind of how you have to do it. Oh, that's awesome. See, I didn't know that. I love that. <laughs> it's a lot, I really a lot do. easier. <laughs> yeah, and I like that you found a workaround, because I do get that quite a few. I'll have readers or listeners who will come in and say, you know, HOA, or we're not allowed to have mm-hmm. birds or animals, livestock in town, which I get. So I love that you found a workaround to still do it and to still have eggs. For me, it was just defining, really, I had to kind of define what I wanted to do as a homesteader. We can so concentrate on all the things we can't do that we let it interfere with the things we can do. And there's so many things you can do in the places. So when you say find a workaround, yeah, I mean, whatever you can't do, you get the next thing closest. And for me, when I was defining homesteading for me, what's it going to look like? It was about self-sufficiency. It was about sustainability. It was about eating right. Pick those things that you can do that lead you down that path. That's really what it was like for me when I was deciding what to do. It's like, okay, here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. What is it that I can do that will meet that end for me, that will get me eating healthier, that will move me closer to being more self-sufficient, more sustainable in what I'm doing here. And of course, a whole lot more reasons come in as you start homesteading. I mean, you start out with just those main reasons, but now there's like a dozen reasons I'm doing it. I love so many things about it. I agree. And I think that is so key. And that's kind of my whole life philosophy, honestly, not just with homesteading, but with everything Mm -hmm. and any situation that comes your way. You're right. You can look at it and you can focus on the negative and then that's pretty soon that's all you see. That's like this self-perpetuating cycle. Or you can look at it and you can be like, okay, I'm going to find some good in here somewhere. And then I'm just going to focus on where I am right now and do what I can do. And then it builds on itself. And then you constantly begin to look at situations that way. But in the beginning, sometimes there's definitely a a conscious effort to make sure that you are viewing it that way. Or if you find you start to myself dwell on the negative, I'm like, okay, I need to pull back here and look at this a different way. And it makes a really big difference and a concrete difference. I mean, you're doing a lot, which is really amazing. I try to explain it to people in like this picture of a wagon wheel. And I've used this definition before, but uh, picture a wagon wheel. and, And when you're taking your home and trying to make it into a homestead, I always try to imagine like that hub on that wagon wheel is your home, is your property. And then the outer rim of that wheel being what you're wanting to accomplish, the self-sufficiency, the sustainability. Well, then you have these spokes that connect your home to that outer rim, that connect the hub to the outer rim. So what would connect your home to the self-sufficiency and sustainability? And, And each one of those spokes represents something you're doing. So if it's a gardening, of course, that's a big spoke. That's a spoke reaching out there. And if it's raising a certain animal, you got those folks out there. If it's preserving, if it's cooking from scratch, if it's making home remedies or even replacing cleaning products with homemade versions of the same thing. I mean, all these things are spokes in your wheel. The more spokes you have, the more you're connecting your home to self-sufficiency and sustainability. Now, you can't have an unlimited amount of spokes. There's only so many things you can do. So that space in between, it kind of represents a few things. It represents the time that you have for doing those things. It represents your skill level. It represents your valuation of your property, your setup, what you can do, what you can't do. And you take the appropriate spokes and you put them in that wheel and that connects you. And the more spokes you have, the more self-sufficient and sustainable you are. So that's kind of like the definition. I kind of always try to help people to understand how they can take their home and make it a homestead. I think that's a great visual and really true about that. 
When you are evaluating your situation, like you said, you, for example, are limited with your acreage for sure. And at Mm -hmm. the time you were limited with your funds because you were not working, as you said, you had been doing chemo. And as we all know, even if you have insurance and really good insurance, usually it doesn't matter. You have a portion of that and medical bills add up super fast. Yep. So how did you recommend to having the hindsight now? Because you've got some years between that time period that someone starts to evaluate their situation and determine what they can and can't do. Yeah, sure. It's exactly what you do have to do. You have to evaluate your property. You have to evaluate your situation. You have to step back and you say, okay, what are the things that I'm trying to accomplish? Like I said before, now let's evaluate and see what it is we can do. And I think for me, one thing I had to do, or maybe I didn't do it, let's just say I didn't do it, but I took some steps anyway, but I should have done it. And that was find out what the laws and ordinances are for your area, because it very (laughs) well could be that you shouldn't be raising anything or growing a garden in your front yard. I mean, if you're in an HOA or something, you probably can't hardly do anything. You need to really find out what your situation is, what you can and can't do legally because fines can add up or you could have to tear some things out and that could cost you a lot if you do something. So find those things out because it's just, it's better. I always say it's easier to ask for forgiveness than for permission, but sometimes that comes with some fines <laughs> and that can be yeah. expensive. So you yeah. want to make sure you, what you're allowed to do first. And then you want to evaluate your property. I mean, if you do have like a 10 acre lot like me, I mean, I would go as far as say you could homestead in an apartment, but let's just take for an example, a person with a yard like mine, just a, like a 10 acre yard. You want to grow some things. You need to evaluate your property for a few things, for space, for sunlight, for shade. Is there a place where you can put a garden? Is there a place where you can plant some trees that aren't going to shade out the garden? There was the house shading out your backyard and you're going to have to plant in the front yard. You really evaluate your property to see what you can do before you start doing anything. And for me, I, I was kind of lucky. I had a perfect sun situation. A lot of my property gets the south facing sun. So it was was a really good situation. Nothing was really blocking the sunlight. So it really worked out well for me. But you need to know that going in. Like I said, if it's not a perfect situation, you don't let what's not perfect get in the way and say, I can't do anything because there are things you can do. You can container garden and move those things around and put them where you want them. You can grow things. There's ways to do things, even if you don't have a perfect setup. Yes. I also think knowing your soil, especially if you're in a town situation like me, what kind of soil do you have? Because I mean, I know in some cities there's an issue like with lead in the soil and things like that. It probably wouldn't be a bad idea if you're planning on planting in the ground to get a soil test. Take the kit from your county extension office and get a soil test and see if there's anything bad in your soil. If you're going to build raised beds like I did right off the bat, it really doesn't matter because you can make the soil any way you want and start off with perfect soil, really. You also want to evaluate for places for infrastructure because maybe you are allowed to have chickens and you want to put in a chicken coop. You're probably going to want to put up a compost bin. I recommend everybody can compost in some way or another and don't waste those food scraps. You want to find a place for things when you're a property if you can find a place. So all these things just to evaluate. But I know that all of homesteading just doesn't take place outside. Inside your house is a lot of homesteading takes place in there. I mean, the kitchen is where we do a lot of our homesteading, right? Oh, and yeah. You want to evaluate for places to store the food you're preserving and the equipment that you have in your house and things like that that you can use, like a dehydrator and canning equipment and things like that. Just do evaluation and see what you need, see what your setup is, see where you need to start. And I think that's a good place to start. I completely agree. And soil testing is really important. Like you said, if there are contaminants in the soil, especially Mm -hmm. if you're in an urban environment, but also there were so many woes that we had from blossom and rot on things because of calcium deficiencies. I mean, there's just so many things with the soil and pH levels not being right, depending on if you're doing things that need really acidic, like blueberries and raspberries, even your vegetable garden. And can you garden without doing soil testing? Absolutely. Because I did it for years. 
But then I did soil test and I'm like, oh, this is so amazing. If you do have a county extension office that'll soil test for you, it's usually free. I happen to live in a state in a county that doesn't offer it. But yeah. it's like, I think 16 bucks, I found a lab that'll do it for me. Wow, and it yeah. is so worth it to have yeah. that information. I wish it's one of those things, like you said, looking back, I'm like, oh my goodness, I wish I'd done it so much sooner. And most of the time, it's pretty easy little adjustments, but it makes a mm-hmm. big difference down your growing season oh, and yeah. your gardening road. It's real important to know your MPK ratios. It's important to know your pH. It's, it's important to know all the things. I mean, that, you're not just looking for toxins in your soil. You're looking for other things, you know, just the things that make your stuff grow better. So yeah, it really helps. Yeah, it does. Now, I want to circle back just a little bit. When you first had stage three cancer, you had done three rounds of chemo and personal decision with the way things were going, you stopped the chemo. There was a time from when you were there to when you were actually producing your own mm-hmm. meat and your vegetables and stuff. So in that in-between time, because I have a lot of people are like, okay, I want to do this. But in that in-between time, I'm assuming you didn't just keep eating the way no, that you had no. been eating. I, no, and we, what, so to bridge that gap, what were the steps that you took until you were more self-sufficient in producing that good quality food? Yeah. I mean, I did have a salad going pretty quick because right about this time was right in spring. So I immediately got a couple of raised beds going and I was growing like a little salad. I called it my salad and salsa garden beds because I had like two I put up right away. When I was growing, you know, I was eating a salad out of my backyard just about every day within a few weeks of this decision. But in the meantime, I was having to buy and I was buying organic as much as I could afford. We were going to the farmer's market and getting some food and making it that way. And honestly, I'd done a little bit of research. And one of the first things I did is I went on a very strict keto diet. And I'd lost like 45 pounds in a couple months, just, just doing away with the sugars. I had like absolutely no sugar and very little carb. I had no carbs at first because it was a strict keto diet, but then I kind of slowly introduced some of that back into my diet. So it was that. I just went radical down that path because I'd just done a little bit of research and found out that that was a, a really good cancer diet at the time. So it worked for me. It seemed to do just fine. It's been seven and a half years now since my first diagnosis and I've had a few tests and everything's always coming back fine. And that was not the suggestion or what I heard from the doctors. They were pretty sure I'd be back in there within a year or two and they wouldn't be able to do anything for me at that point because they really highly uh, suggesting that I didn't quit trying to find something that would work in the cancer treatments. That's amazing. And because I think a lot of times people look at where we're at now, or I should say where they want to be, like you said, that end picture. And they feel so far removed from it that they don't make those little micro changes in there. Mm-hmm. Like you said, just switching things out and looking at things. And you had a really big motivator. I mean, I hope that most people will begin yeah. to make those changes before they have that spot. But that was an awesome motivator. And I'm so excited to hear that, obviously, this is how your story has played out and that you were able to put it into remission and to find healing and to be able to do all that you're doing and then sharing that with other people too. That's that's why I do it too. I mean, I I don't want people, wait till it's too late. How much better would it have been if 10 years earlier I'd have started living this lifestyle and eating right? And so that's why I always try to tell people because there's so many people just keep putting it off, putting it off because they say, I don't have a place to do this. I'm waiting for one day, I'm going to have that dream homestead and I'm not going to do anything until then. And I'm always like, and that was me too. Don't get me wrong. That was me before this. And now I try to tell people, don't wait, just start right where you're at right now. You can do a lot of things right where you're at. Even if you're in an apartment, there's a lot you can do. Just on my podcast last week, I had a lady on who's doing it in a townhouse with almost no backyard. And you, she's growing things hydroponically in her house and homesteading. She's cooking from scratch and doing a lot of things, homesteady type things right there in a, in a townhouse. And you can do it wherever you're at. And your situation 
you may not be able to do a lot. You may not be able to do everything, but there is no doubt you can do some things. And that's what I always try to tell people. I completely agree. And you know, I have exact same situations, Anna for one. And guys, as Harold, I know we're, we're talking about a lot of things. And so don't worry, we're going to have a full blog post that has links to all of these different resources and things we're talking about. I'll have links to soil testing stuff when Harold's talking about some of these different episodes and things with his podcast. If you like this podcast, I guarantee you're going to probably like Harold's as well and his website. So we'll have all of those links so that you can find out more and dive into more into the information that you really need for where your situation is at. But yeah, I know Anna was on my podcast and is in my membership and she started out the same way. She was in an apartment and she didn't have any of the background that you and I did from when we were young and at least had some experience and stuff with it. And she was in an apartment and just growing some tomatoes and some herbs just out there. And like you said, with the lettuce garden with greens, the great thing too is especially with those cooler weather greens, you can start to grow those in the early spring and later mm-hmm. into the fall. And then in the summer, you can put in some different ones too. But you can get greens and start harvesting those things within like seven, sometimes if the conditions are right, 10 to 14 days. Yeah. And start harvesting your salad. And they don't have a big root system. So it's not like you have to have this huge thing. You can even do it in, in a decent sized container. I love that. And plus greens. Oh my goodness. They're so expensive, especially if you're yeah. organic in the store. Right. And then all of these different recalls. It seems there's always coli outbreaks and recalls, salmonella and stuff going on with the greens. And I don't know about you, but whenever I do buy greens at the store, even if they look super fresh and whatnot, it seems like they're only in the fridge for a day or two and then things are turning all mm-hmm. slimy on me. <laughs> yeah. Well, no telling how long they've been sitting there, plus how long they were on the truck getting there and how long before that they were picked. You don't know how old they are. <laughs> there's a lot of truth. Yeah, there's a lot of things there. So that's a really simple and easy way to get started. I just love all the tips and stuff that you've shared with us. Now, I also know that you have something special for today's listeners that they can go and check out more. So please share with us if there's any additional thoughts that we didn't touch on that you're like, oh, but I just got to share about this and then where people can connect with you more. Yeah, I think it's important to take some first steps. If you're not currently doing anything, I think it's great if you can just get started. So I think one of the things that really make a homesteader a homesteader is they're a doer. They're not just talking about it. They're getting out there and they're doing something. So take some action. I tell everybody, if you want to be a homesteader, you got to take action. You can't just think about it. And and it's fun to think about it. It satisfies us to some degree to think about all the things we're going to do one day. But you're not going to be a homesteader unless you get out there and start doing some things. So you have to be a doer. You have to get out there and plant something you like to eat. You have to raise something like a chicken or a quail or a rabbit or even worms. You want to start a worm compost bin. That's something you can do in an apartment. Raise something. Cook something from scratch. I think that's a big part of homesteading. So often I tell people, it's one of them things that wasn't even on my radar. When I first started this, I thought, I just got to grow stuff, grow stuff, grow stuff. And it's like, okay, now I got all this food. What am I going to do with it? And I realized I didn't really know how to cook too much from scratch. And we had to figure that out. It's important to learn how to cook from scratch. So start getting in your kitchen and learning how to cook from scratch. Replace a store-bought household item with a homemade version, a store-bought cleaner or a personal care item that you can make yourself, try doing that and and develop some self-sufficiency in that area. I think all these things are really good just to get started and just get in there and start doing some things because it has this effect. Once you start doing it, you just do more and more and more. It's like a rolling downhill and it just goes faster and faster and then you can't get enough of it after a while and you will become a full-blown homesteader. And I think it's important to think of yourself that way. Think of yourself as a homesteader because it's kind of like inviting yourself into a club, taking ownership of it. Just by calling yourself a homesteader, 
you're going to want to pursue self-sufficiency and sustainability and have that mindset change. And you're going to look at yourself and your home differently. You're going to think of it as a homestead. You're going to think of yourself as a homesteader. So refer to yourself in that way. If you would like to get started, I do have some audio classes on that that I like to offer for free. If you go to smalltownhomestead.com forward slash Melissa, you can get like five audio lessons on getting started. Just a few things that you can pick up right from the very beginning that will help you really dive into the whole homesteading thing. I go into some deep discussion about what homesteading is, how to evaluate your property, all those kind of things, the things you need to do in the very beginning. So I just wanted to offer that as a free gift for your listeners. Oh, thank you. I think that's going to be fabulous. And I completely agree with you. I say homesteading is a frame of mind first, Mm -hmm. then yes, it has to be followed with action or with anything, but definitely there's the mind first. And then wherever our thoughts lead, that's where our actions start to follow. So thank you so much for coming on, Harold. I really enjoyed listening to your story and you've even inspired me. I got to get out there and get more greens going (laughs) out in the garden. I love that. And I'm just so thrilled that you are thriving and that you were able to beat the cancer. I think that's just an awesome story. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I don't want to discourage anybody from going away from doctor's advices and things like that. I'm always so careful about that because everybody's situation is different. And I've known many people that's followed their doctor's advice and they're doing well too. So don't take that wrong. But for me, it was the best thing. And you have to always make up your own mind. So I'm always just, I always want to just really drive that home and be real careful about telling people not to necessarily just, you know, up and change. But you know what, even if you're following your doctor's advice, eating right is still the right way to go. So changing your diet is always right. I completely agree with you. And because modern medicine, I'll be honest, it has its place. Mm -hmm, It definitely has its place. I mean, I would not be alive right now. Well, for the grace of God, amen, but also for modern medicine. And so I'm really thankful, actually, that we live in the time that we live in. There's a lot wrong with it. And again, it's that where you want to focus. There's a lot right with it, too. And so I agree. I think our biggest responsibility is to do our own research and then to make the decision that is best for us in our situation. And everybody's body is different. We all react different to different things. I mean, even with modern medicine, like you were sharing, and I have uh, 18 plus years when I was a pharmacy tech and you'll have even taken all those medications. You'll see that they don't work the same for everybody. Everybody reacts different. Some people work great with them, some they don't. And always think if you're able to actually heal the root cause instead of treating Mm -hmm. a symptom, that is absolutely the best way. But I really appreciate that you're saying that too, to people, you know, do your own research, what works well for you and don't just blindly, I think that's the key is not to just yeah. blindly follow anything without doing your own research. So thank but in you. In my opinion, a homesteading lifestyle is always the better lifestyle. So it's never a wrong move to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. I'm the exact same way. I mean, there was a few things for that we'd always like, we always had our vegetable garden and did some canning. So I didn't get completely away from it, but there was so much that I wasn't doing until I had that health scare. And I'm like, okay, let's start to look at things. And I was same thing with the research and stuff that led me back to doing all this and then doing it on a lot larger and grander scale than we had been. And you're right, because once you get that success in one area and you see that it works, I first just started out replacing one cleaner at a time or yeah. you know, doing one thing. And then now it's like, there's very little that I actually purchased from the store that's not being made homemade in those regards. And it does, it's a growing 
snowball downhill. So if you just get yeah. started, I promise. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it takes hold. More for and more. Sure. It does. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. And Thanks for guys, having me. Yeah. Make sure you can grab, take advantage of Harold's links and those resources. And thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. It was great talking to you. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Are you feeling inspired or what? Because I certainly am. And I think that the verse of the week for this episode is just fits in seamlessly. It's Luke 14, 28. But don't begin until you count the cost for who would begin construction of a building without first getting estimates and then checking to see if there is enough money to pay the bills. Now, when you first listen to that verse, you might be thinking, okay, but I'm supposed to get started and I'm not sure how much certain things are going to cost me and all of that. But while that is true, you need to start within the means that you have. And there is a lot that you can do without spending a lot of money to get yourself started. But really, with this verse, the way that I'm reading it and the way that it impacted me this morning is if you feel like you are facing something that's impossible, and honestly, with becoming a homesteader and supplying a lot of your own food needs, that can feel impossible for a lot of people, especially if you have that full-time job, other commitments, and a small amount of space to do it. But with God, all things are possible. And I think from this story, as well as resources and things that I share with you, you can see that it's possible. I worked a full-time job, did this on the side. My husband still works a full-time day job as well as a volunteer firefighter and EMT as also fire commissioner for our county. But you can do it. If you feel like you're facing something that's impossible, I encourage you to just keep the faith, take the small steps forward, pick one goal and move towards that and see what happens. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I hope that you come back next week. So until then, we'll say bye for now. But if you're like me, I don't really like goodbyes. I have never been good at goodbyes. We should really hang out more than just once a week here on the podcast. If you are on Instagram, I would love to hang out with you there. So you can find me. It's Instagram, Melissa K. Norris because we need friends and inspiration every single day, not just once a week. Can I get an amen? So I will end off with, I hope we talk soon.